Hello and welcome to this, the 37th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised you we won't ever charge for this podcast, but each week we do ask you to go and put your money into Irish theatre and put your money where your mouth is. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And the simplest, most direct way for you to support is to go and buy yourself some tickets. And there's a whole heap of theatre coming at you soon. Wherever you are around the country, whether you're in Galway, there's the festival ongoing down there at the moment. Uh, The Kilkenny Festival is coming up soon. We've just had Cork Midsummer. There is theatre happening all over the place. And as we know, we're ramping up for Fringe and the Dublin Theatre Festival soon. So there are buckets of opportunities to get out there and support Irish theatre. Do please put your hand in your pocket. Buy yourself your ticket and give yourself a treat of a great night out at the theatre. But look, I understand maybe this week or this month, theatre uh, tickets might be slightly outside your reach. And so maybe go and check out one of the crowdsourcing websites, the Indiegogos, the GoFundMes, the Fundit.ies. There are always uh, projects over there looking for your support. Support often starts from as low as a fiver, and there are always great rewards in return for that support. But of course, there are ways you can support without even putting your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person over a pint or a cup of coffee, or by sharing the link as a Facebook post or retweeting the link on Twitter or talking about it on Instagram or any of those social media platforms. The more you can get the word out about us on the podcast the more we can use the podcast to get the word out about all the great artists making theatre in Ireland at the moment do please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you're an Apple head if you are um, Android maybe go and check them out they are streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie under the audio tab Uh, do go back and listen to all our other episodes if you would please leave us a review on iTunes is a huge help or you can simply click to rate us on their five star rating system and as ever you can follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions Ireland or you can follow us on Twitter we are at rise Ireland and it's been another busy week here at rise towers we have finally after ten and a half months put the good father to bed at long last we finished up our run in smock alley on monday evening and when i say we've put it to bed i mean it i took a power saw to that set the next day and brought it to the recycle center here in fingal um yeah you know at this stage 25 venues deep 10 and a half months on the road we have done as much as we're going to do with that production it was absolutely beautiful while it lasted but for now it's time to put it to bed um and i have to say a huge thanks to everyone who made that show what it was from um rachel O'Byrne and Liam Heslin, our original cast, through to Dan Monaghan and Marie Ruan, who were our current cast for this last run, uh, Leanne Bergen for the stunning uh, composition, original score that she put together for the show, Lance Fawcett as ever on design for us, who's been with us since day one on Fight Night, um, and of course Christian. Um, who just wrote this incredible play and finally after 15 years of me waiting around for it let me have a crack at it I was over the moon to get my hands on it it was such an enjoyable show to work on uh, so great to kind of bring it through those two incarnations 
and so great to bring it on the road for as much as we did, man. Like 25 venues over, like in total, with a couple of breaks in between, but essentially 10 and a half months from the first day of rehearsals to the last day of the show. That's a long hell stretch to be doing a show like that, but it was just a joy to work on, and I was delighted. And you know, that Monday night was a great send-off, as we announced on the podcast last week. That Monday was the big launch night for Rise going in as company in residence for the main space in Smock, which is a hugely exciting development for me personally, for the company generally. Um, it gives us a wonderful platform to try and put together a longer program of events. You know, we're going to look at this three-show program for 2019, which I'm really excited about. We're firming up all the plans around that, as we've announced. The first show we'll be making will be the world premiere of Gary Duggan's new play, Spotless, uh, which will be directed by Aoife Spillan Hinks and produced by Rise in association with then this theatre company, which is Aoife's company. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Gary is a writer who I have um, really respected and admired for an awful long time. I've been lucky enough to work with him a couple of times and uh, as an actor. And now to get to work with him as a producer on this is, is really exciting. So there are exciting times ahead for us uh, in our new home of Smock Alley Theatre right on the River Liffey. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an intriguing time. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into it. And speaking of really looking forward to things, it brings us to our guest this week, who is none other than the exceptionally brilliant Annabelle Cohen. Annabelle is someone who I know going right the way back to when I think I was just 20 when we first met. I wasn't even 21. Uh, Annabelle came in to direct one of our final year graduation shows on the old acting course in Trinity, and you'll hear us talk about it during the conversation. Um, but someone that I've had such a great time working with over the years, uh, like I still look back on that production of Carol Churchill's Mad Forest as, you know, possibly some of the best work I ever did. But then even, you know, jumping forward to working on the house with her at the Abbey and Major Barber at the Abbey and stuff, you know, these big, huge plays with this big weight of expectation expectation around them. And uh, it just being an absolute joy. She is fantastic. She's exactly my kind of director, both in terms of, you know, that she makes shows that I want to go and see and my kind of director in terms of the kind of director I like to work with. So, look, let's get straight into it. No more messing. Here she is, the brilliant Annabelle Cohen. The wonderful Annabelle Cohen. How the hell are you? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> um, I am delighted to have you on. Uh, let us start, as I do every week, with going back to the very beginning. Uh, how early does an interest in theatre arrive for you? And what, what was that initial spark? Oh, my God. Um, I think I was... Actually, I was quite young in, in school. Um, I was about, I'm trying to think now, about 12 or 13, something like that. No, I think maybe 13, 14, something like that. Um, and I don't know why, actually. There were just, there were auditions for a school play, The Diary of Anne Frank. We're an all-girls school. Okay. And, um, and I think you had to be 14. I think I had to be in third year or something like that. And um, I think I had admired certain students older than me, like who were in fifth and sixth year who were doing the play. And, I, and I, then when the opportunity came around, I was really determined, like really determined to push us through a whole audition process. I think about three rounds. It was absolutely ridiculous. And that seems a little excessive <laughs> so for school all, right there. <laughs> it really was. And maybe it was two. Maybe I'm exaggerating. It, <laughs> it was definitely two, though. And we had to... Um, well, first of all, audition with a bit of the script. So we all did that. And then we had to come back and audition with a German accent. And a lot of work had to go into it. <laughs> <laughs> like, say, like Louis Walsh and X Factor has an patch on This is fantastic. I love it. I worked so hard. I have no idea why I really wanted to do that. But I did. I worked really hard. And I got a part. I got a part. I can't remember the character's name. as the doctor. 
and, 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 and I remember that who was in prison who got a bit obsessed about counting potatoes I remember that I remember very little else but I think that was the beginning because it was compa- I'm quite competitive and it was quite competitive uh, and I felt it would be something that would be my own because no one in my class was really interested okay yeah. and so then so that's you 14, 15 <laughs> at what point do you start to think then maybe okay I enjoy doing this for the crack in school at what point does it become a thing of well maybe I'm going to try this out for real career wise uh, then we had was a friend of mine a really good friend of mine um, who's still a friend of mine and she had a mate from Monaghan come to stay with us because uh, she was the national uh, youth theatre oh yeah of course and, uh, and she told me all about it and it just seemed so fun. She was coming home at 11 o'clock at night. She was, she was talking about all the people she met. And then she said, you should apply. And, and that's where I discovered Dublin New Theatre. And I auditioned for the Dublin New Theatre. And amazingly got in. And uh, so I used to go to that every Saturday morning, like from 10 to 1 or something. Yeah. And then I did Betty on Norton. There we go, as all the greats did. Uh, I did Betty on Norton in the afternoon. I remember I used to have to go... Uh, and hang out in town. I was about 15 or something, or 16, so you have to be 16. Um, and I remember I used to hang out in town. I, I had no pocket money either. I used to be given 50p or something. And I'd read all the Eason's magazines. <laughs> Amazing. All the film magazines. I knew my film backwards. Um, and I'd spend about three hours, and they all say, stop reading the magazines. And then you stick them back. And then you pick them up again, literally. <laughs> and I would do that for hours. And then go up to her in the evening. Wow. <laughs> um... So, so from so DYT and Betty Ann, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's a pretty formidable combination. Yeah. That's kind of the two main pillars of kind of, of youth drama knocking around Dublin at the time. It kind of, and actually, in Dublin New Theatre, though, I got much more interested in, in lighting. Actually. Okay. Uh, and so I, I didn't, I suddenly, I was too awkward to be an actor, you know, and um, I suddenly thought lighting, I was quite interested in technical uh, aspect of theatre and rigging lights. Having said this, I didn't really go to the theatre and I found the theatre quite boring to watch. I was really just into being a part of it. Yeah. And the, you know, working in it. Um, and, and I do remember then... For some, I have no idea, but Aideen Cosgrove asked me to assist her, but I was still in school on a play she was putting on as a, uh, she was the lighting designer, and I came in as lighting operator, a rigger. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know where it happened. I was 16, I think, 17, wow. yeah. And I was in school, I think I was in fifth year in school. And um, I did that, and that was on in Players. It was a Philip Boucher Hayes production. In players. Wow. Names like, to conjure with. Look back in anger, which is kind of ironic funny. enough. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's not weird. I, I don't know where that relationship came from. I don't know how, where that contact came. Maybe it came from Dublin New Theatre. I don't know. So, so that kind of all those aspects kind of all tied up, um, and then I started applying. I still obviously had the notion of acting to acting school. Um, in New York actually places um, and then to go to drama school in England and also in Trinity so I applied for all those and so what was the next step then where did you end up uh, well, actually I ended up I, I got a place in Manchester actually and I got a place but New York was way too expensive yeah. and so it, it just wasn't viable I think I had to be a nanny like every other hour of that yeah. and it just wouldn't have worked at all and it all came quite late in the day um, and I think it's probably best I didn't because it's one of those ones if you do a year then they don't like it they kick you out so I, okay. I'm sure I would have been kicked out after a year right. not knowing what I was doing and then Manchester was a real offer but I don't know why I took I took Trinity anyway I took it and um, 
and I went to Trinity and um, and I'm still really into the I got more into the technical aspect of theatre there as well. Um, I think I did more lighting and assisting. But then I did Erasmus and went to London and that really opened things up for me, I think, a lot um, in London because, um, again, I, I felt I, was, I could be my own person and I didn't have to... I was getting a bit fed up with Dublin, I think. Right, OK. Um, and I just really wanted to kind of set up on my own feet in some ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure it does. Um, but, so I started working while in college there in the Fringe Theatre and I did a load in this small Fringe Theatre called uh, Greenwich Studio Theatre and I did a lot of stage management and um, actually stage management there. So I kind of have a background in stage management and lighting, rigging basically and operating and all that sort of That's stuff. That's kind of fascinating to me uh, in terms of how it fits into the journey as it goes along. Uh, I'm intrigued by that. We might come, we might come back to that. <laughs> I remember actually in Greenwich Studio Theatre, there was a, wo- a wonderful woman called Margareta Forsyth and her husband, Julian, Julian Forsyth. He was English and she was German and they ran this theatre together and he would do big kind of West End, Les, Les Mis type shows and things like that. But they would put on very little money, hugely successful shows in this theatre called the Greenwich Studio Theatre and I was stage manage. But I, I found out there that actually I constantly interrupted her as a stage manager to give her <laughs> suggestions. I was, I was probably a pain in the ass. I said, you wouldn't do it like this. And what about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she wow. smoked consulate, like chain smoking consulate uh, all the time during rehearsals. Um, and a really fine actor, Eddie Morrison, started out there. Wow, okay. Yeah, so he and I kind of knew him a bit. And lots of other actors start, started out there. Um, so it was, it was kind of a break, great place to be, but uh, but that's where I kind of found I, I wanted to have more of a say. Yeah. You know. How then did you put that into action? What were the first steps into starting to direct? Um, I, yeah, it's funny because I asked them, could, would they give me a show? And they kind of skirted around the issue, which was really a no. Okay. Um, so I kind of thought it wouldn't happen there. And I remember distinctly this guy who did... Um, an MA in directing in Goldsmiths, which I ended up going to. Yeah. Um, and he just said, just do it. And I remember thinking, he's right. It sounds really, but I remember he said, you just have to do it. And I had just graduated from Goldsmiths and I was going, what am I going to do? And so myself and my flatmate, Aideen Malone, who still is a lighting designer in London, um, we decided we would put on a show together. And we just read plays, and the first play we put on was The Rock Station by J.R. Fitzgibbon. So we read plays, and we chose that one, and uh, we put it on the Fimbra. Um, and Ali Robertson, at the time, was the artistic director, who's now knee-high, I think. Okay. And um, he worked in the Granary after, you know, years back, but after the Fimbra. Um, and so we put it on there, and... I don't think anyone came to see the show, but we got very good reviews. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> I remember one time, I think it was this, the Times reviewer was in, and about like 10 members of my family. So my family with my uncle and my sister's friends and all of that, and the Times reviewer, and maybe one other person. <laughs> Ah, the magical moments. I love it. And I had no money at all. So we did it on absolutely no money. And I remember this guy uh, who ran Irish linen, very posh Irish man who had Irish linen company in some posh area in London. I can't remember. And he gave me a couple of hundred quid. But that was amazing. Right. Like that really helped. And I remember my uncle sold his Hoover and gave me 150. 
And I think my dad must have given me 100 or two. So I think I had about 600 quid or something. That's a very serious budget. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but we did it. I can't remember. We did it on that. And I think we kind of made some deal that we pay back afterwards. I can't remember. What then was the plan to get back to Dublin? And when did that happen? Oh, there was no real... I was kind of faffing about in London for a bit. I had done quite high-profile jobs as an assistant. Right. And I found the transition kind of difficult. So I was getting shows in, say, the Royal Court Theatre upstairs um, as part of the Young Writers Festival. Mm. Uh, I think it's called... It was then called the New Playwrights Programme. Kind of transitioned in name. I'm not sure what it's called now. Um, and so I was getting those type of shows. How did you find assisting? Is Was it like invaluable knowledge or was it kind of frustrating to be there but not fully there or what was the experience like I think I got a lot of really good experience from doing it and there was one person um, and professionally I learned an awful lot from him was uh, Ian Rickson okay I assisted him and I learned a huge amount from him actually that level of thought and consideration and detail and how he worked with actors um and I feel, because I assisted a good few interesting people like Lindsay Posner and James MacDonald. And, but for me, and, I mean, these are all wonderful directors. Yeah. Roxana Silbert as well. But I found from Ian, I did learn an awful lot about the, you know, how, how to take a play on very positively in many ways and how, to, uh, how he engaged actors to really come behind the piece. Um, and how he noted actors and the level of detail and thought and consideration I yeah. thought was really interesting. I also learned an awful lot from um, a woman called Nesta Jones, who was kind of my mentor in Goldsmiths. Right. And uh, she, I learned a huge amount because she was really into, you know, those, um, when I say those 1960s, 70s British playwrights and language and things. So I learned a massive amount from her as well and rhythm of language. So mm-hmm. I learned an awful lot from her about that um, and how how ideas are alive and thoughts are alive on the line and how it's shaped by how a thought is shaped, basically. So I learned a massive amount from her as well. So I think those two people kind of really influenced my thinking yeah. in many ways about language, but maybe not about how to do, you know what I mean? Maybe not visually, but definitely about language and how to approach a play. Am I right in thinking that one of the first gigs back in Dublin was walking in to Trinity College to a gang of <laughs> reprobates uh, for a production of Carol Turtle's Mad Forest? I think it was actually, yeah. <laughs> what, what a brilliant play. It's an incredible play. Yeah, I love that. I still look back and I think that was a great... I was very proud of that work. And, uh, and you were all brilliant in it. Well, so, so, <laughs> well, yes, correct. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, at what stage did you... Because, I mean, it, it's a strange thing now to look back on it. Because yeah. for us, we were just a gang of college kids learning how to act. But in that room at the time was Ruth Negga, Aaron Monaghan, Lisa Lamb, Judith Roddy, and you know yeah. various others as well. That's a fairly serious, even for you know, and yourself and myself indeed. Yeah. But even like you know, that's a fairly serious room to be walking into. Um, did you feel like you had uh, the good kind of raw materials there at the time, or or how aware were you of, of, um, of what was going on? Uh, it does. Yeah, it's funny because um, I. I wasn't that aware of what's going on and I kind of didn't want to be either and I do remember people wanting me to give the low they wanted to give me the lowdown on where students are at okay. and I remember I didn't really want to know 
I kind of wanted to deal with everyone or where they were at. Because yeah. um, I was, I suppose I was young enough, but I, had to, I felt I had enough riding to take on a big production in quite a big space, yeah. actually. And, uh, and also, it was a play very different to anything else that I would have worked on. It was, it was quite surreal, really, mm-hmm. in many ways. And, um, uh, and I suddenly thought, how in the hell am I going to stage this as well? So it, for me, it was a real opportunity to work with a group of people who weren't that far off in age. I mean, like I was a bit older than you. Yeah, but not much. But not much, yeah. And I, was just, I just saw it as an opportunity for all of us to put on a piece of work. I remember even saying, we're just going to work like we would professionally. Yeah. And, I, uh, and it's funny, I still would have that same thinking because I don't know how to work as if I'm not <laughs> there is no unprofessional switch that you just yeah. kind of knock on well, and go I don't have to work like a teacher's director <laughs> like you just direct yeah. I guess I suppose that's for my thinking anyway um, and I was really proud of that they had some kind of mad moments in it um, doing the lambada yes, while having conversations in Romanian as you move from one partner to the other or something like that when we still when we meet up we still converse in Romanian occasionally we can only say the dog is hungry and would you like some more cheese but we've been known to have like half hour conversations like that (laughs) Uh, we definitely need to get out more yeah yeah, I was really proud of that and actually my dad is a real hard taskmaster master and he he was so proud of that and he went you must never give up really yeah he did he went you must never give up even at your lowest because I think I've probably had a few low patches you know prior to that and he he kind of said you must continue and he really kind of gave me the seal of you must how significant is yeah. a kind of an edict like that i mean it just for someone to step in and say i have faith in you I, you know because at particular stages in your career yeah. you, sometimes you need someone to pick you up with that kind of things and almost not kind of sometimes the encouraging word is great but also sometimes like a direct order you must never give up yeah is kind of equally as useful oh it's really useful you know and he never gave compliments lightly at all and i think i had already directed maybe four plays at that stage you know so i think i'd done about four or five yeah um and but him saying that after that show i think he was really proud he's very impressed it kind of appealed to him okay. the play as well but also i think the way we did it um and I think it was. It came exactly at the right time for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk to you a bit about Hatch. Yeah. And the importance of having your own company and kind of, I guess the the agency that goes along with that and the idea that you have control over the stories you want to tell and how you want to tell them. How important has Hatch been for you, both in terms of career progression, but also just in terms of your own satisfaction as an artist. I think at the time, it was like a, a coming together of lots of different things. So I think when I had just moved back to Dublin, um, I felt I needed to find a platform to produce the type of work I wanted to produce. And also no one knew who the hell I was. Right. Um, so I needed to find a way to start producing work. And, um, and also because I had lived in London, I was incredibly up to date with a lot of the British contemporary writers that I know had been done a little bit already in Dublin, but I, I, I kind of felt I, I knew an awful lot <laughs> at that stage. Yeah. And I really, you know, I read every new play basically that was coming out at that time. And um, so I think it was kind of feeding a, a, a desire of a type of play that I wanted to do and I felt more at home with than mm. say other plays. 
Um, so in that way, I think artistically, it, it allowed me to direct the type of work that I was interested in. And I felt at that time, that type of work was being supported by the Arts Council yeah. as well. So I think those worked well together. And I was lucky in that way. Um, and Willie White uh, and then Eva Dong were incredibly supportive. And they basically took a pump on me and put some money into the first production. Um, you know, based on what I said I had done, basically. Right. Um, so that was, and I think he had seen a show that I put on in the Beckett, but really he just came behind me, um, not with a huge amount of money, but gave, gave me the infrastructure to make it work. Um, so in that way, it was a really good opportunity to do work that I felt confident with, that really interested me. And um, I, I felt, like I feel I've slightly moved on in my taste a little bit, not completely, yeah. but I feel there's other things that now I feel... Um, uh, engage me and inspire me to make work but that stage though that Hatch was working perfectly in the way that I needed to work for myself and for my kind of artistic satisfaction yeah um, so I was very proud of the work that was produced under Hatch at that time um, I'd love to talk to you a bit about taste as in that, mm. that evolution taste because I, I think if I think as people think about Annabelle Common, the director, they think about uh, a heavy influence on, on text, a kind of a rigorous investigation of the text and kind of a, um, a, a kind of fidelity to, to the text, to the writer and stuff. Is that a fair assessment? And is that still some kind of bedrock of what makes you you? Or what are um, these new evolutions? I feel I've changed a bit actually so I think it is fair in terms of language and thought and intention um, but I feel I am what's the best way of phrasing this I feel in recent years I've kind of been more interested in what I want to do with the play um, and that's not negating language and thoughts that characters are having um, or at all even the writer's vision of ideas but I don't necessarily want it to do with the way the writer envisions it and okay. actually more and more um, I, I, I feel I need to find what I want to do with and how it responds to me um, and I feel in the last few years I've been quite strongly going that way um, and moving away from how a writer has envisioned a piece of work I kind of go well that's my job to envision it yeah. so um, with with the company and designers as well so um i would say i'm quite rigorous on text still yeah um and i love language um, and i love to explore the thought behind uh, language and where drama lies and and in that where things become explosive you know um but i feel uh, aesthetically i'm kind of moving away i think i'm getting bolder Okay. I think I'm progressing. I think I'm developing a little bit. I think so, you know. And I'm, uh, I was kind of getting bored of my pair back palette, actually. Right. Um, and in a way, it felt to um, well. Also, it was about by necessity, um, financially. So Hatch succeeded very well. Pairing, and I still kind of I, I don't like to have things that are unnecessary. But I kind of go, how else can we look at this? And mm. um, and actually, really recently, doing look back in anger when I, I did that. Um, and I think really interesting language in, in that play. But I think the overall, what the writer was after, appalled me. Okay. 
absolutely appalled me. And I suddenly went, I'm going to do a play in revolt of the writer. So, so uh, but, no, but, 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 well, here's a question. So for other people, the impulse would be, yeah. I'll just walk away from that play and not touch it. Your instinct was to get in and kind of explode it to an extent. Well, I, I, I kind of found myself in a situation, yeah, that I was doing this play, but at the same time I was going, I find this, I, 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 the more I read this play, the more horrific what the writer is saying is to me, I, I can't stand over the writer's vision of what it is he's trying to say, and yet there's really interesting kind of dynamics going on. So in that, I, I, you know, I remember having long conversations with Paula Batney, so we've just got to turn this on its head, actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I found it quite nerve-wracking, but very satisfying, um, just to go, well, what does this mean to me now? Um, and not to be quite so... Do you know what I mean? Just mm. go, it's slightly breaking it down a little bit and starting again, but with all the elements still true. <laughs> You've kept a lot of the, kind of the core design team around you through a lot of your work. Yeah. How important is that? And how much freedom does that give you actually for those kind of evolutions, those progressions, uh, that you know that there's a safety net of comfort there? Does that allow you spring into actually taking more risks with work? Um, I, I would also say... But there's a question, say, for Paul or, or Philip, um, that maybe they have also changed as designers yeah, okay. as well and, and developed in their own way. So I think in terms of myself and Paul, I think his way of thinking has has possibly got undergone a change, maybe in how we work together. So I don't think that stayed, you know what I mean, at, um, in a static uh, way of uh, thinking about things. Mm. Um, and I think we've been kind of emboldened in the last three or four years more than we were a few years back. Um, and I think a few years back we were doing those big shows for the Abbey, but kind of quite early on. Um, and it, it was quite an onus to, you know, like Pygmalion was the first show I did on the main stage. Yeah. It felt quite uh, a responsibility and yet we didn't want to do a costume drama, so to speak, even though they were all in period costume. We didn't want it to be like a chocolate box piece yeah. of theatre we wanted it to be quite violent actually so we were kind of but at, this, at the same time we kind of it sat well and that do you know what I mean it sat well by not pushing the envelope too far um, and but I think say coming on to the wake I think we just got a bit bolder as well and um, and slightly uh, and working with Ashling, and she's just she has no problem taking risks, and I love that about her. Um, and just pushing things further, actually, and going doesn't have to be done like this, and it yeah. doesn't have to be staged like this. And I'm interested in that because that was a remarkable production, and I adored it. Oh, thank you. But I'm interested in finding these new freedoms and pushing boundaries a little bit, whilst working with someone like Tom Murphy. Mm. Um, how? And also having done the house as well, how did you find working with someone like Tom? And is there a bit of a, is there a bit of a clash between his his approach to kind of it, things being locked down and very specific in the text and finding freedom around that? Um, like I, I I can't claim to know to have known him very well, but doing uh, the house, for example, um, he was very generous with his time and spoke. Um, at length about any questions I had and thoughts I had and he would always be open and we might disagree with each other yeah um, I remember we, we kind of vehemently disagreed about 
the character that Catherine Walker played right. in the house. Um, and But he kind of raised his hands up and went, so be it. Um, and then I didn't involve him in design discussions. Okay. So, But we had really good discussions about the play. And then when he came to see the model box, I, I remember him pointing at a part of the set and he said, it's not like that. But myself and Paul had a discussion and we went, we're going to keep with it the way it was. Okay. And that was just a small thing, you know. But he came up to me afterwards when the show was up and running. He said, that was my favourite scene and he was delighted with it. So he was very generous in that yeah. way. Um, and... Like I had always, from the age of, I don't know, 17, I'd say, been reading Tom Murphy's work. Um, you know, so he was a writer that, um, that had a profound effect on me, kind of in terms of the muscularity of language yeah. and that kind of internal um, fight that we have with ourselves. That, uh, that though I'm a very a completely different person from... Um, uh, th then Tom, I could identify with that all the same. Um, and so I learned a, a huge amount. And I think, um, and I'd like to think that in the wake, we bought out that kind of muscular conflict and yeah. danger. Um, and um, so I think, yeah. So I think we got on well, despite visually, again, he might have seen it, but he never stopped anything. Okay. Yeah, he never. He just went, I don't see it like that. But he was, once he saw it, he was very generous in his okay. response. <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, I'd love to touch a bit on your work at The Lear. Yeah. Uh, and how you feel that fits into the overall career arc for you and, and what you gain from it as well. Yeah. Um, but kind of, I've been working at the Lear now for five years, uh, which I can't believe. And um, I guess I have always been teaching. Right. Since I was about 23. I, I taught, when I graduated from Goldsmiths, I taught in this uh, place called Pace, um, professional and community education, like just for a few months over the summer. And then I taught a bit of Goldsmiths. Uh, when I say taught, it was kind of teaching and then kind of directing. Yeah. You know, I did do a bit of teaching classes, though, I think, in, yeah, in Goldsmiths as well. Um, and with directors and with actors. And then also with Estonian students at Rose Bruford. So I did. So it always felt I always enjoyed that. It's a different energy that you need. Mm. And uh, and I liked working with students, actually, um, and and how... I guess they probe you on your thinking. Yeah. You know? And, and does that force yeah. you to clarify it, some of the thinking on it stuff? It does. It, it's made me realise, though, that I don't have a set of beliefs about things, or that changes my set of beliefs. Uh, I do remember I was working with NYU students in Dublin, and I was teaching... I can't remember. I was teaching... Um, they were actors, and I was teaching them on... Um, uh, storytelling, something like that. And I was talking away, and I had just had my daughter by about six months or something, and I was talking away and doing a workshop, and then I remember stopping in the middle of what I was saying, and they were all looking at me, and I remember thinking, I can't go on. I don't believe a word in what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> I just don't believe it. And they looked at me, and they could see the fear, but I thought, I can't tell them that. So I remember um, I said, I've just had a baby, so... I've had a bit of a brain blank 
and they looked so relieved because I could see the panic in their faces. And I just got them to get up on their feet and do an exercise that yeah. I was going to do anyway. And I thought, I'll never teach that again. Because um, I don't believe a word of it. Wow. But I had believed in it. Yes. But I had believed in it at a point, and then I had kind of retaught it, retaught it, and then I was going, it's just nonsense to me. I probably might go back to it and go, actually, there is a bit of truth in sure. it. Sure. But so what I find is every few years I suddenly go, what am I? I look at my notes, say, from three years ago. Is that. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> uh, and that's quite good, actually. Um, so it kind of. So even though I don't necessarily change hugely in my thinking, I do sometimes look at things I say and go, I don't believe in that. So I don't have a set of rules by which I yeah. work or behave or feel that as practitioners you have to sign up to. I think, I suppose I respond to each individual work. And I think with different students, say, at the layer and different play texts, so I try to change them every few years. I'm coming up to a change now, so I go, okay. what am I going to do? Um, that you think differently about things and you go, I don't believe, or this, this set a way into this play doesn't work on this plane now, so I have to find slightly different. I'm not saying massively, yeah. but I have to modify or change um, how I go at things and how I teach, and also depending on the students a bit. Mm. Um, so I always get nervous teaching still. Uh, I still go in feeling a little apprehensive, uh, especially in the first month. Yeah, That doesn't go away because um, there's a responsibility there. You know. How do you find... Uh, going into direct a production for the kind of you know the graduating class mm. uh, is that is that a very specific experience? Um, how close is it to walking into direct any show in any theatre anywhere? Or is there? I often feel that there's a certain quality to a specific group of actors because they've been working so tightly as an ensemble yeah. for as long as they have, and there's something about that thing where they're just about to be launched into the world that there is a distinct quality to it. But in terms of the process, from your point of view. Is it the same as any other gig? Yeah, I think it is actually. Yeah, if I'm honest. And normally, because I teach the directors, but if I work with the actors, I might never have worked with them before. Sure. I may have, but I mightn't have. Yeah. Um, so I might be coming in for the first time to work with them. And you're absolutely right. They may have worked with each other. They will have worked with mm. each other. Of course they will for coming on nearly three years, depending on when you direct the show. But um, I'm just trying to think... So I suppose they have a shorthand. They also have got used to a language of which their teachers would use. Um, sometimes the movement uh, teacher at the layer, Sue Maidan, would come in and she uses language. And I, I'm kind of getting to grips with the language, but I still, I go, or I'll translate into my language. You know. But the students are brilliant because they're able to cross different languages. And say, for example, on asking for a huge amount of layer. Oh yeah, actors, of course. Yeah. They're in asking for it. Um, and Sue worked on that as well. And it was just really interesting. Um, they're so well equipped. They're so well trained, I think. Mm. They're so well equipped to come in and to engage with different forms, whether it is through movement or thought or language. Um, so in that way, they are open to working in different methods or approaches is a better way of phrasing it to get at a piece of work. Um, and sometimes more so professionally, but even a few years ago, you didn't have those other aspects at your disposal, maybe yeah. for financial reasons. And so it was very much coming from one approach. 
Um, but there are kind of multi approaches. <laughs> I find working in the layer and so much support there as well. Yeah. So you've got the support of Cahill or Gavin or these are uh, people who work in voice. Um, so there is so much back uh, backup that uh, you kind of feel all of you together mm. are trying to produce vehicles. Yeah, and also I think the standard of work coming out of there for what is essentially technically still a student production yeah. has been phenomenal. I think, I mean, look, obviously a big part of that is the caliber of director and designers going in to work with them. But I mean, I remember, for example, the clearing. I sat through the clearing, the show finished, I got up, walked out of the theater straight to box office and bought a ticket for like two days down the road to come back and see it. <laughs> instantly go and see it again. Um, because, because the shows were that good. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, I think I've missed one show yeah I see you you're yeah. very good I'm yeah. there a lot uh, I'm, I'm the kind of super fan um, but just because I believe in what they're doing and I believe yeah. in, in the calibre of it uh, and I think it's affording opportunities to directors to get in and create work maybe on a scale that you couldn't do yes. elsewhere it reminded me of me at the Beckett yeah. and I kind of that real opportunity as you're saying to work in the big space big studio space and to take on bold plays that you wouldn't be producing elsewhere which which is what makes it interesting. Like the Lear puts on fascinating plays, yeah. um, kind of brilliant things you wouldn't see elsewhere. Um, and I felt the Beckett offered that same opportunity actually um, in its earlier days. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's a fantastic resource. I'm, mm. I'm just. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, I want to talk a bit more about the, your approach to the work because I remember having a conversation with you before about the level of detail and even getting down to storyboarding scene changes at some point mm. in work and stuff which seems like a level of detail that no one would go to how important are those specifics for you i mean we talked about kind of a rigor in the approach to language yeah but is it that same rigorous approach to every conceivable element of the production i do still storyboard <laughs> i storyboard things visually right um and draw pictures yeah so i do a huge detail of that and it doesn't mean it won't change. So I don't storyboard where exactly actors will move. Sure. Though myself and Paul, on our say, uh, uh, not the final design, but second penultimate yeah. design, would go through every scene, storyboarding it, uh, for actors initially to make sure that the set functions for them. So that's that you can get eight people through that doorway or Yeah, or that it can work on the dynamics of how things relate to each other, allow us the possibilities that we might want to um, to approach when in rehearsal room. So we would do that. Um, and then say on shows like Look Back in Anger or Asking For It, which were kind of visually more in the way, actually on every play, but those in particular and Asking For It has uh, A V as well, I'd storyboard everything. Okay. Officially, uh, and we'd have like Sinead um, McKenna who did the lighting and Jack Phelan. We'd all come around and Paul and Philip, and we sit around. We go through all the elements and how things might happen and change, and so that yeah, every every part of it, you know, so that we're creating the right image at right moments. And I and I've got a handle of what I feel I want the production to be, um, and that we all have a handle on what what we're after and what can it be achieved and also what needs to be ordered in advance yeah. in terms of um, uh, whether it's lights or particular lenses or whatever that might be but I would still do that I would still storyboard scene changes um, so that now again they often change sure but I get a sense of uh, what I'm trying to achieve with each of those things 
So yeah, now, as I said, they kind of morph, but at least I feel I have a structure and I never refer back to it once I'm in the rehearsal room. Okay. So I don't go, oh, this, and never refer back to it, but I kind of knew what was possible and what we're capable of doing. And then we can work off that as a basis, if that makes sense. How important is that level of prep in, in all elements of a production? In advance, I mean, I, some people might like to say, "Oh, look, we'll find it all in the room. We'll let's not over prepare because it'll stifle it. Let's keep it yeah. all fresh." I, for you, is it about having every every possible outcome thought through in advance? No, I don't think you can have every possible. I would like to say baseline, okay. a, a baseline from which things can grow okay. um, and hopefully develop um, to become ideas that would never have entered any of our imagination. Um, I also think it's a level of insecurity, possibly, and control that I don't always see as a positive, but I don't know how else to work. Um, so, I, you know, I, I envy, and I used to have a slight inferiority complex about people who say, well, we discover everything in the rehearsal room. But I was going, I can't go into a rehearsal room without prepping. Yeah. At least structurally, what I'm trying to achieve, you know, um, so a certain amount, like even working and asking for it, you're going, oh, see what the actors do, I go, but they need a basis on which to know what to do. <laughs> you, you need to come in, because we had to kind of create montages or visual imagery and that, and so I go, okay, so basic kind of line, you know, uh, this character um, is looking for this other character who is trying to avoid them. So you need a basis from which the actors to work on, say, for example. Um, uh, that was trying to create a visual image with AV and lights that there was no dialogue for. Um, so I felt I, I have to go into either workshop or day's uh, rehearsal. And I, I work every night while in rehearsals to prepare for the next day in terms of what I'm trying to achieve, what... Um, and what will be the starting point to try and achieve that work and then we'll see what comes out of that but um, I guess uh, yeah I used to feel a sense of inadequacy about that because I felt maybe you're not a true artist by doing do you know what I mean yeah. it's kind of question surely it should come alive in the moment but it's not what I am and who I am. And, um, but I'd like to think in any rehearsal room I've worked in, nothing comes that is prescribed. And yeah. actually I'm open for anything. But I need to know I have a backstop of yeah. ideas. And I need to know visually that the set and the design are absolutely in support of what we're doing in the rehearsal room and trying to create. And myself and Paul and the lighting design would have meetings at night as well and with Philip Sand constantly looking and Philip would sit in a lot in order to make sure he's responding to what is actually happening on the floor. So. How do you enjoy working with actors? I love working with actors actually. Yeah I do. I've, it's very rare. I've had maybe just one or two experiences in all the about 25 years <laughs> I've been working and um, it's always a pleasure. I, I feel very... Actually, I love the whole process of making theatre. Um, and um, I find actors to be lovely people, to be open, to be intelligent, to be... Um, I love the idea that they can take something and then change what's in your head into something much more interesting. Um, I like being with actors. They're good company as well. 
It is one of the joys of it. Just the, the yeah. theatre people are good crack. They are a good company. Yeah, I, I just I, I I always find it. I feel in a good place when I'm working. Now my family'd say I don't exist at home. So <laughs> yeah. like I'm not there, or I'm not even there in my head if I'm physically there. So um, I know my husband says I'm going to lose you now for two months, and he said, "Well, I've already lost you in the prep, you know." Um, <laughs> so it's probably three months on the way doing one production. Yeah. Uh, but he's kind of actually the very first show I did when I was dating him. Um, he sent me a card. I was doing the men for Arthur Cleary in London, and he sent me a card. I thought that's really sweet, and I opened it. And he wrote on the card, thank fuck it's up. <laughs> <laughs> and they say romance is dead. And we were only dating by less than a year. <laughs> and he's gotten used to it now. <laughs> That's absolutely glorious. I, <laughs> I love it. What, is there anything that still surprises you about theatre? I have to think about that. Um, I think I'm surprised by, um, yes, I think I'm, I, I, I am in a really good way surprised by how your own thinking, you go, God, I'm very limited by my own th- thinking sometimes. And then someone else comes in with a fresh way of looking at things and you go, God, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant that there's such another way of approaching something. Yeah. Um, I worked there with Aideen Cosgrove again there recently uh, for Druid. No, the first one was at the Lear. So we've done three shows together recently, which is very funny seeing as I assisted her when yeah. I was 16. And um, um, and I, she really kind of opened my mind in a different way of approaching work as well, design-wise too. And I find it very refreshing. Um, so I've done a few shows now with her as well um, and so I think that I think it's always lovely to just find a whole new outlook um, from people so even though I work with similar designers I'm always slightly mixing it up at the same time we're with mm. Tom Lane there recently and he was a joy to work with he's great he's such a lovely guy um, and I think actors will always offer you that. Mm. And actually working with the young actors there, they're very inventive and very, so committed and courageous that they will give them all of themselves. Mm. And by doing that, um, sometimes wonderful work happens and you go, I really didn't have much part in that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel they do an awful lot themselves. And then that way, it's very invigorating and surprising actually, because it's, it's not, Despite all your prep work, you yeah. go, it's not really about you at all then once you get into the process of rehearsing, which is lovely. Um, I want to talk about kind of being that involved in that process then, uh, specifically with asking for it, because we talked about yeah. it a bit. Um, it feels like it's, it's in an odd world where it's kind of had, it's, it's arrived into the world, but an awful lot of people, because it was outside Dublin, yeah. haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and it's yeah. all the but that was something that you were involved in from the very early stages in terms of shaping it and bringing it to the to the stage in the first place am I right yeah um so Anne approached me about it um I'd say November a year and a half ago basically (laughs) and um and she kind of and I think it was Julie Kelleher from uh, the Everyman who thought of it as an idea and so herself and Anne I've been talking and and I was delighted came to me with it and I hadn't read the book at all so um I went straight out and bought the book um, and I had to read, and it was one of those books you could just read in an instant and be quite shocked 
you know, overwhelmed yeah. by it, not shocked, but kind of overwhelmed by it. And um, which I was, so I, it was kind of an instant, yes. And then it came to, you know, well, the adaption of it. And I thought, I really want to have a part in the adapting of it, but I don't, I'm not a writer per mm -hmm. se. You know what I mean? I'm not a writer. Um, and, but I wanted to have a strong part in, in the shaping of what it is as a piece of drama as well. Um, so we approached Maeve, because uh, I'd worked with her, on Helen and I, and, and we had got on well together. And yeah. I just said, you know, I'd I want to be a part of the process, though she is the main writer. Mm -hmm. um, so she agreed to that. And I think on the whole, we worked very well together, actually. Um, so much, very much just in the shaping of, and we talked at length for hours on um, Skype. Was it Skype? It was, or WhatsApp, I think is what we used. <laughs> and we know now every half hour they disconnect you and then you have to reconnect. <laughs> so we go, oh, there's a half hour disconnect. And then you just phone back and we, we speak for two hours, like regularly. Um, so what, what it was going to be, uh, what was Act One, where lay the drama of it, you know, like all of those questions. And what, I, what was interesting, though, for me was, I think myself and Maeve, presumed that I would be coming with the director as I, but I thought I can't think of it as a director till I know it's a script. That's intriguing. And I and that put, a really key and, distinction. Yeah, really actually. A completely different way of thinking. And I remember Maeve saying to me, um, so how do you think you'd do that? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea how I'd do that. And it was only and she said, Oh so what about this? And I think she was a little bit kind of initially thrown I said I, I have to know it functions with her of course yeah. you know like Maeve was the main woman on it and um, but I, I, I felt I can't see this as a director till I know its form and shape uh, in that way uh, and to know it work function dramatically having said that there are major areas that the directing can take over yeah as it is at the moment so there's areas as there's no dialogue or I did say one time I think there needs to be a dance here a moment we see the young people at their most together and bright and youthful and full of life and future yeah. before that all gets so things like small those were kind of director thoughts coming in um but it was only i remember like and i started the process then slightly later because the script was still developing um as a director to it and then suddenly i had a whole load of different questions about the script yeah and actually, it was quite useful. I suddenly said, seeing it as a director, I'm going, what's happening here and here? <laughs> and I, you know what I mean? It was bizarre because I've been working with her for about a year and it. What are we doing here? <laughs> um, so very separate parts of my brain, obviously. Is there an obligation to capture some kind of an element of the, a sense of the quality of the original as you transpose it from one medium to another? Or do you just have to look at it as we are creating a piece of theatre there's a, that initial spark as an impulse, but this is a fresh, newly minted thing. Uh, yeah, we were always really torn between that because we're going, it's still an adaption of a book, it's not. And I think we had been, by Landmark and by The Everyman, we had been um, commissioned to write not a response, but an adaption. Yeah. So I think uh, in, so that in that way was more than just the spirit of the book, but hoping to retain the spirit of the book within an adaption. Um, so we did talk about, you know, I remember Maeve saying, oh, if I were doing it, I'd start an act two. Mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't do, you know what I mean, if I were a writer, just starting afresh with this idea. Um, so in a way, but then we thought, oh, it gets rid of the whole youthfulness of it. And, but we did feel structurally we could change that. But it just happened. So we slightly did, but not really. Structurally, it maintains much of what the book um, is. Um, but we did feel we could play with that. But I think the overall characters and story we felt, because it was an adaption, we'd been commissioned to do that. Um, so more than the spirit of it. I think for me, a great concern was, because we had spent so much time on it, is would we maintain the spirit mm. within Keeping True? Because often the spirit can be lost in the adaption. Um, and I felt I didn't really know that, really, until I remember actually a journalist said to me at one point, she said, you said it kind of hit you like a soccer punch or something like that. And she said, will the production do that? And I meant... And I remember just evading the question, because I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it suddenly made me go far. <laughs> um, but I think we seem to have achieved that by the response. Have you been surprised or taken aback by the response to it? Um, actually, yes, uh, if I'm honest. And by... Um, I felt at a certain point that in the process that we the work was strong actually and I felt confident in enough not completely but enough in that and that what the actors were doing and what the piece was was holding up mm. um, but the level of response I think has been something I have never actually experienced before even in productions that have had similarly very good reviews yeah. and but never that type of response and um, I, I, I bumped into uh, Agent Jonathan Shanky there and he was he used the word it was like a communion was happening in the audience and he was right there was like something else was happening amongst the audience members and they needed to see this work and they they I felt it was taking them on a journey that 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 there was a shared communion of some sort between those members of the audience um, and I'm glad that the play was strong enough and the production was strong enough to um, kind of fill that need mm. in a way um, and to deal with the complexities of the story because I think Louise O'Neill has written a very complex story um, in the character is not simplistic or straightforward um, and, and I think um, the play has upheld that complexity as well. So, um, and people responded to that. People haven't gone, oh, she wouldn't do that. So the people seem to respond to the, the difficult dilemmas, you know what I mean, that are brought up. So, um, it's been extraordinary, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it in Dublin. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, finally then, what still excites you about theatre? <laughs> Working in it, and each new production <coughs> brings with it its challenges and excitement. I never get bored um, or tired of working with people afresh on a new project, and I think every new collaboration with different people um, always excites me and always creates a fear and amazing adrenaline and rush at the same time. Um, as to as to what we can create out of a piece of work on a page, and that that's always a, a great love and passion. Yeah. Spectacular! I love it. As you know, you're one of my favourite directors in the world. Uh, I look forward to seeing a whole load more of your work <laughs> and working with you on a whole load more of your work. Annabelle, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks a million.
So there you have it, the great Annabelle Cummins. So wonderful to catch up with Annabelle and have a nice detailed chat about her approach to the work. She's a fascinating woman. And as I move more and more in this parallel track uh, of directing alongside the acting stuff, it's really interesting for me to check back in with someone who I admire so greatly. Um, Really insightful uh, look at her process. And just I'm honoured and privileged to have her on the podcast. Really, really delighted. That was a special one for me. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of theatrical goings-on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, it is Ulysses. At the Gate Theatre, it's The Snapper, which I saw the other night, which I absolutely adored. Kate Gilmore being astonishingly brilliant as ever, but I don't think Kate Gilmore has any other setting. She's only, you know, astonishingly brilliant or utterly phenomenal. Um, She's just fantastic, but the whole show is fantastic. I laugh my ass off. It is really, really great crack and well worth checking out if you can get your hands on the ticket they are doing crazy business up there which i'm delighted to see um also at the gaiety theater then it's riverdance and at the board gosh it is wicked then we look to the new theater in temple bar it's first love by samuel beckett and also in temple bar smock alley they have the festival of curiosity going on at the moment with a whole heap of shows there but then coming up soon it's idle wild by jimmy murphy presented by rex ryan's new company glass mask and they're kind of our residency roommates uh, in the boys school when we're in the main space um rex's new company going in there and it's kind of really exciting to have all these different artists going into smock in residence now for the coming year you've got veronica coburn going in there you've got robbie blake's company going in as well it's all kinds of exciting stuff and uh, really delighted for rex and for jimmy uh, with the program they have planned for the year but also coming up at smock it's the chakron which is their big in-house summer show starring a whole host of great people dave o'mara's in that deirdre monaghan and of course liam heslin our original tim from the good father um, and then as we look around the rest of Dublin out in Clontarf at the Viking it's Mary and Me and that'll be followed by an evening with Brendan Behan uh, at Bewley's in the lunchtime slot they have Joxer Daily Esquire starring the brilliant Phelan Drew and directed by everyone's favourite Carl Shields and then heading south to the Everyman in Cork they have Killing Stella and that'll be followed by the Lonesome West starring Gus McDonough and Amy McElhatton and out west to Galway as I said there's a whole heap going on out there at the moment uh, through the Town Hall website they've got The Fall, Incantata Port Authority, Clayta uh, Orfeo Edjuridice and The Aspirations of Daisy Morrow so much theatre on in Galway at the moment do get out and see what you can see and then up north at the Lyric in Belfast they got The Gruffalo's Child and they have Paperboy so look that is us that is episode 37 in the books we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm Angus Og McAnally We'll see you next week.